inspired by the psalm that we read together just before passing of the peace. Um, that was a part of our lectionary for this morning, and I thought it was so neat that the church calendar had planned to celebrate creation as well as Pentecost today. It is Pentecost Sunday. Have red pants. Um, some of you also have red. Others have pink. Um, so, or orange or yellow, all the fun. But since uh, we talk about creation, I wanted to share with you um, an important timeline that we go through with the children in the Sunday schools. But really, it is important to me because I think it is a timeline that provides a foundation for how we understand where God is and what we, God is doing. So I share it with you also in the hopes that it will bring you some joy and some newness in your awareness of God as an adult at whatever stage you are in. So this is what we call um, the timeline of the kingdom of God. Um, this is a, did you know that we could put it on timelines? <laughs> So we start, I'm really going to, I'm like going to kill this. Um, so over here. <laughs> so in the beginning was creation. My son, he talks about it as like this very large asteroid. And I was thinking, maybe. I don't know. The earth in which we live began to exist a very, very, very long time ago. So many years ago that we have not been able to count all the years. In the beginning, also, everything was mixed together. Now, if you got up here and got up close, you could see this is a blue ribbon, and it has little ribs. And when we do this on a fatusha, it spans like 50 yards, and each of those little ribs is a 1,000 years. But since this is much smaller, you need to know that each of the ribs of this ribbon is 10,000 we don't, not even sure where it begins. The red, it goes off into the distance. But this is when we start counting time, when things were mixed together and there was chaos um, and there was the deep and the dark. But here it is, creation had started. And now, like I said, later, after this mixture time, when things were bashing and smashing, you should read some astrophysics, like, Woo! Elements going everywhere. The moon was probably knocked off the earth by a big um, asteroid hitting our planet. So it's really neat. But later, the darkness and the waters began to separate and land appeared. And little by little, things found their place. But the earth was still barren and empty. So many more years passed. Years and years, thousands hundreds of thousands of years, millions, maybe, millennia. And then that there appeared one day the very smallest of organisms. This is a single-celled organism. This is the beginning of life as we living beings on the planet. And so this is such an important time that we change colors in the ribbon. So now we go from the darkness and the mixture to life, itty bitty teeny weeny life, but God was there guiding it and shaping it and making it and breathing life therein. And so a lot more time passed, so much more time. Who can guess how much time this is? Little itty bitty single-celled organism, 
we walk across and finally we come to vegetation. Then there were plants, trees and bushes, not flowers yet. For some reason, they took a lot longer to appear, but lots and lots of time, the plants grew and changed and became more diverse and more lush and more able to provide for what would come next on the earth. And then more millennia passed. Again, millennia, who knows what millennia is? Millions, millions of years, so much time. And so after that, we have animals up here, animals on land like this horse, although the horse probably wasn't the first animal to appear. Animals in the air like this bird, although again, the birds weren't likely the first ones to appear. What do you know from school that probably appeared first? Dinosaurs. And then here is the fish to represent all the animals that were in the water. Probably animals were in the water first. That might be where that little amoeba was when it began. And we travel more and more years, and then we get to this special time this very, very important time. This entire earth was made before we have the appearance of humanity. Here are humans. Humans are special because they are intelligent and they can work with their hands. You know, God does a lot of work. Are we like God when we work with our hands? And it says to us in the Bible, God said, let us make humans in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so in the church, we talk so much about, at other times, about great feasts and banquets. And we like to eat together, don't we? We love to eat all the time together. Do you maybe think that all this time in creation, is God making a great Sure, he wants the birds and animals to eat and be taken care of too. But all of this happened so that humans could survive on this earth. Do you think we could survive if the plants weren't here? Probably not. Do you think we could survive if there wasn't life in the water? No. Yes, all of this is here so that we can live too. Now, we travel on more years, lots more. Look at how many years, so many years, because God is not finished yet when humans are created. And we get to this point because one day there was a child born in Bethlehem, and his name was Jesus. Jesus Christ, he was born, and he was true God, and he was man. He was a human, and he died, and he was and we read about him in the Bible. In Luke, it says, in the city of David, a savior was born, who is Christ the Lord. And also in Matthew, it says, he has died, but he is risen. This we hear about Jesus in the Bible. And this is a special time. It is yellow, because this is the grand moment of redemption. This more important than any event that happened in the timeline thus far. This is so important that it changes everything and we get a brand new uh, ribbon that is white. And so 
here we are in this light period. Now, this light period, it doesn't work quite like the other ones. The other ones, we could count the ribs and think about all the years and years. But right here, here, we're in the present day, and we don't know what's happening in the future. But what we do know is that we, like this light that is, we have our own faith page. That after Jesus was raised from the dead, the redemption of Jesus began to spread throughout the earth and continues to spread today. And on our faith page, God wants to work with us in redemption. God wants to help us write our page. God wants us to think about what we can do and make in this world. Isn't that neat? What do you think? You all have lived some years, so maybe your page has you now to stand as you're able as we sing together God you spin the whirling planet
struggle to pronounce some of the words in this passage. <laughs> I'll do my best. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard the sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Serene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and con converts to Ju Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're all full of new wine. Peter stood with other, the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness, and the moon will be changed into blood. Before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. 
happens when you try to retune your guitar in the middle of the solo. because we care. But not that much, evidently.
Hello again. We are back for part two. I call the first part traversing time. This is traversing space. So we learned about God's work in the time of the history of the kingdom of God. And so I wonder, have you ever wondered how far and wide and deep the kingdom of God is? Uh, how does God help us write our blank page? Why does God invite us to this work? And to where does God call? And what does it mean that Christ's work of redemption is ongoing and will be fulfilled at Parousia, the last day? So Pentecost Sunday is a special day to think about the vastness and the unity of God's work of redemption. Pentecost is indeed a celebration of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised an advocate. Maybe you've heard about that or read those passages. A present, another presence. The Spirit's entrance into the lives of the Christian community and the, of the apostles after his ascension. And in our passage from today, we hear just that. Not only was, a spirit, was the Spirit a promise made by Jesus, the gift of the Spirit is also a fulfillment of the Old Testament promise from the book of Joel. This prophecy is also connected to Parousia, the last day. The story is about redemption of Jesus, the gift of the Spirit, the expanding redemption work. Pentecost is also about the return of Christ, all in one. In the Pentecost story, Luke, the author, is painting us a theological portrait, or perhaps a landscape, whatever it is, or, or a postmodern, like, color scheme of Christ's death and resurrection to Parousia. So today I'm going to do a new thing, at least it's new to me, for Pentecost. I want to focus not on the tongues of fire, nor the wind, nor the mysterious speech of the disciples that was all at once totally Galilean, and also all languages. I do find that fascinating. But I want to focus on all the people who were there to hear it. Do you wonder, was the spirit only in the wind and fire? Was the spirit only with the disciples who were praising and praying for the power from on high? Might the spirit also have come to the hearers, those people from Parthia and Mesopotamia, from the Cyrene region of Libya and Egypt? Might the spirit have visited the faithful Jews and proselytes to Rome, of Rome? Did the spirit open the ears of the Arabs and the Asians? What do all these people in the story have to do with Joel's prophecy and the disciples' mission? Why are they named so distinctly so that we Americans must hem and haw and struggle to pronounce these distant peoples of the past? Why do they matter? Why are they scripture? These questions push me to think not just about how God works throughout time, but also how God works redemption through space, at least geographical space. And those thoughts, I believe, are best thought with the help of maps. And so I will do another new thing, at least for myself, and preach with maps. This could get very interesting. So map number one. Yay! All right, so above on the screens is a map of the world. Whether on a globe, an atlas, a textbook, or Google Maps, 
This is a general layout of all the maps offered for daily use. All the maps of the United States, or if you have a Bible with maps in it, they are scaled to size and they are oriented in this direction. And by orientation, I mean the maps are drawn and labeled so that north is up and east is right, this is your right stage, stage directions, west is left and south is down. This orientation of north up and south down is incredibly important to how people organize their values and their daily lives, especially to someone like me who gets east and west mixed up all the time. Uh, to know this map brings stability and order and a solid ground for making decisions like whether to turn left or right, where to go on vacation, and even who we think is most worth our time. But did you know that this orientation of north up and south down is in fact quite arbitrary? It doesn't really matter. And for centuries, north wasn't up. East was because of the sun. It was most important. East up. So really, a proper map could also look like this. So above me on the screen is a map of the world where north is down and south is up. So some of you might have seen this kind of map on the West Wing show where two of President Bartlett's staff sat and stared at this map for half of the episode, their minds completely blown. I don't, um, it can be quite disconcerting with the world uh, turned upside down in this way. Like, look at it, Arctic Antarctica refuses to be ignored now. The seventh continent looks as if it is draped over like an umbrella upon the earth, or a big tarantula. I don't know if you want Antarctica to be scary. Australia looks enormous, and Africa is on center stage. Looking at this map like this, where south is up, you know, it actually does things to your brain. Well, I don't know if it makes your neurons shift around or anything, but it has become very popular in forward-thinking businesses to hang a South is Up map because of the effect this map has on waking up outside of the box thinking. With hardwired orientation broken, your mind is free to wonder and wander into new connections, new ideas, and the possibility of trying new things. I would hope that the South is Up map would also become popular in our churches and our schools. This broken orientation frees us for new ideas, and it also frees us from ingrained assumptions and values. You know, psychologists in their studies have demonstrated that people notice first and assign an implicit higher value to the geography at the top of the map and a lesser value to whatever is at the bottom. We read books, maps, and worthiness from left, well, in America from left to right, but everybody from top to bottom. So turning the map upside down literally changes your perception of which continent is highly valued. Poor North America, there's so little now. Here we have a new map. North is up is not the only geographical orientation ingrained in us, at least in American Christians. 
There are other important maps provided in study Bibles and hung on Sunday school walls that also orient and give values to the Christian history story. Here is one popular map. I'm sure if you opened a pew Bible or have one of your own, you could find this one in there. It is the journeys of St. Paul because two thirds of the book of Acts details the journeys of St. Paul, so this sounds natural. Let's have a map with arrows about it. This map is quite familiar to me, and I've actually required several seminary students to draw this map for a grade. Like they had to freehand it, turn it in. But here lately, I have become dissatisfied with this map. I don't like it much anymore. It is incomplete. I have several reasons. Number one, if you notice on the map, there is no attempt to demonstrate how long the length of each of these journeys took. You know, Paul stayed in Corinth, Corinth and Ephesians, for example, up to one to two years at a time. This map makes it look like a short-term three-week vacation, you know. I mean, I know that the boats took longer, but still, I mean, you don't know. Um, second, this map is focused on one person and one person alone, and that is Paul. But you know what? In Acts, he was never alone for any of these trips. Luke wrote part of Acts in the first person we, and it's not a royal we of Paul. It really is a we, as if he had also journeyed with Paul and others. And sometimes these people splinter off or they stay behind as Paul goes forward. But there are no arrows of the other people going in all the other directions. They are missing from this map. But my biggest disgruntlement at this time is that this map implies that where Paul went, especially toward Greece and Rome, was the most important direction for the spread of Christianity. This map of Paul's journeys, while historically accurate in the sense that Paul really did go to these places, I'm not arguing with arrows like that, it's a distorted display of the time spent, of the persons involved, and of our geographical values as Christians. This is another example of how that distortion plays out in our understanding of our, the spread of our faith. So we get maps like this, which trace the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire and in medieval Europe. This is also a standard map. It is one, if you ever had a religion course in school or went to seminary, you would see a map like this. Maybe it also is in your Bible. It's possible. Um, the problem is, this map is wrong. Um, it gives a specific geographical orientation that Christianity spread from Jerusalem to Turkey, Greece, and Rome through Paul, and into France and Spain before Constantine declared Christianity throughout Rome. It gives a specific geographical trajectory, Jerusalem to Europe as the center of Christendom, and then we can travel on through history, on to the Americas, and then from the missionaries to Africa and Asia. Um, but this is not the whole geographical story. I take issue with the gray areas. Just because they weren't Roman and Paul didn't visit them doesn't mean that Christianity never took root. So let's return to Pentecost now. Here is Pentecostal geography. Um, 501, right? We're in advanced class right now. So let's go back and let's return to Pentecost. You guys are all so advanced. I'm so proud of you, so proud. It is time to show you some maps that blew my Christian geographical orientation mind. I could literally stare at these maps all day 
because they open up new ideas and trajectories and possibilities for us. They challenge all of our implicit and explicit values of being Northern and being from Paul's lineage. On the screen is a map of the region where Jews lived outside of Jerusalem. I don't know if you can see it so well with all the lights on, but um, the regions, these are all the regions mentioned in Pentecost in red. If you see just some red letters, you maybe not, don't even have to read what they are. Just look for red on this map and you can see how far it stretches. Um, ever wonder where Elam is? We mentioned Elam. It's east of Mesopotamia, the Tigris and Euphrates, way over past Babylon and well into the ancient Persian empires and the modern day Middle East. It's just way over there. Some places where Paul traveled, like Phrygia and Pamphylia, are represented. Those are in um, southern Turkey. But Paul never went to Cappadocia and Pontus in the northeast regions of what we know today as Turkey. And you know what? Cappadocia is really important to us. It's an important spot. The early Cappadocians worked out the doctrine of the Trinity for us. We have a lot at stake in Pentecost to Cappadocia. Without them, who knows what we'd understand about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who knows? So notice this map. It's not Paul's map turned upside down, but it is shifted drastically toward the east. And so Pentecost signaled a new thing. It is the coming of the spirit and power upon the people. At Pentecost, people coming to Jerusalem from all directions heard about the mighty works of God. And they all heard Peter speak about the signs of Perusia, that prophecy of Joel, the gifts of the spirit, when young and old men and women, slave and free, would prophesy and dream dreams. Jerusalem, Galilee, and Judea, they're still important. They're in the center. But the Spirit has broken the boundaries of politics, even, to stretch God's mighty works east, west, north, and south. Those old orientations, those well-known ways, the proper manner of things, they're all turned upside down. Tradition is now to be respected, but it is also contingent. It's malleable. It can be argued with and created anew. Worship and prayer can change, just like they changed mid-morning for the disciples in a rush of wind and flame. And so think about it. When we think about how to write our blank page in this time of redemption, Pentecost gives us serious answers. And it also feels like there are few firm answers. And I wonder, sometimes this lack of clarity can feel like chaos instability, and it can lead to fear among Christians who are trying to relate to each other from opposite sides of the street, nevertheless the globe. But here we have this direction of God that is a homing beacon, this spoken and affirmed value that helps us not to succumb to the implicit values that might lead us to astray. We are going toward parousia. It is we have come from the goodness of God's creation. It is good from the first moment to the last. So here is another map now to help with our reorientation and to add alongside the journeys of Paul. You know, you noticed I was like, where are the other arrows? So I didn't get one of like Acts and all of those arrows. I, I guess I'm going to create that myself later. But here's another map. Um, you know, there are many traditions of other apostles and disciples that are not recorded in the New Testament. And here they are. Here's the disciple journeys. 
It looks a lot like the Pentecost journeys. Um, Thomas, the doubting Thomas, he actually traveled the farthest east. There are Christians in southern India who trace their roots back to his ministry. James and Peter went rest, west to Rome and Spain. Mark, the gospel writer, he went south to Egypt. And Andrew and Bartholomew went north to the distant parts of Asia. In fact, by 100 CE, that's just 70 years after the resurrection of Jesus, scholars believe that Christianity had reached as far as the western coast of Africa and the eastern, the edge of Mongolia, right before the Mongolian region. Ethiopia, down in Africa, was a Christian nation completely by 400 CE. And the Arabian Peninsula had a higher percentage of Christians among the population than anywhere in Europe north of Italy. Arabia had more Christians than Europe by 400 CE. So this map and these numbers push for another reorientation, that Europe is not the only teapot from which Christianity poured out to the rest of the world. The message of God's mighty works went in all sorts of directions, and they birthed all sorts of interesting worship and religious traditions. It changed among cultures, and it remade some cultural elements. The story of redemption spread to the regions of peoples who heard it first at Pentecost and to other areas as well. So this geographic majesty, this expansive and creative twisty tourney re-spread, this is also a theological portrait of how the Holy Spirit goes before us in mission. So in missiology, which is my field of study, we name this the Missio Dei, it's Latin. And we put it in fancy Latin, all it really means is the mission of God. Uh, but we, we make it fancy to remind us that the mission belongs to God, right? Fancy God, fancy mission up there. It is God's and God's character is mission, so much so that God is mission. God in love created the world and always meant to care for the whole world and redemption and bring it all, redeem it and bring it all to fulfillment and Christ will be all in all to the end of the age. Missio Dei is the way to remember that the Holy Spirit must be in front, writing our blank pages anytime we stand or serve as a witness to the gospel. Because we don't bring the good news, we testify to the good news of Jesus and search out where God is already at work in the world. God goes first. It is a reorientation of mission. It is an important stance and value that helps organize and ground all of our Christian work. So, okay, so before we leave, I just wanted to show you one more map. This is Christianity today. The darker the blue, the more percentage of the population is Christian. Um, do you notice which continents are the darkest? It isn't the north, not really, not anymore. It is the south, where the Christian population has exploded for the last 50 years. So this map looks drastically different than it did when you were a child or even when I was a child. Things have really been changing. But our children now live in a time of global Christianity. The varieties of Christian life and worship and culture are truly scattered to the ends of the earth. And much of this growth has been led by natives of their own country. 
Africans are growing churches and preaching to other Africans. Latin Americans are leading revivals of faith, community, and Bible study among themselves. So one last math. So considering the growing percentage and growing numbers, it, that might be enough to turn the Christian math upside down. If we're thinking about values, what's most valuable? Putting it up on top. However, I want to put the South on top for another reason. Last week in Youth Sunday Worship, Ethan Wallace spoke plainly about the restlessness and the loss of interest in religion among his generation, your children and my own. He claims that the constant dismissal of his generation's concerns that resurrection happened materially in this world, among the poor, the exploited, the oppressed, all over creation, is leading to a lack of interest in the faith. The younger millennials see no good in religious traditions obsessed with doctrinal purity above personal dignity. Generation Z needs a channel for its sense of righteous indignation and protesting of injustice. And you know what? The global south, Africa, Asia, Latin America, the majority world in terms of population of Christianity agrees with them. They agree with our children. Part of the vitality of these continents, which are overwhelmingly in touch with charisma and spiritual activity, is their unwavering confrontation of evil with love. So, the Gospel South, it is not ignoring the plight of the poor and oppressed. Um, there's a good quote at the, um, at the top of your uh, worship guide that has from Mercy Odioye. She is from Ghana. One of the things that she tries to write out and uh, retrieve African culture with Christianity is out of persons that Jesus came to bring a domination-free religion for a domination-free community. Listening to them, them and, and many others might help the younger generation hear God's voice. They could help us see the value in what we already do and help us to change. We could become more aware of the Spirit's work out there beyond our normal paths and communities, our normal habits even. We could become aware of the Spirit's beckoning of us toward more redemption, toward life with God, toward new things, and out into the great unknown of what it is to come until Christ comes again. So, so I leave you today. Um, also, I encourage you to take this sheet with you. We have a discipline of questions. I do not know that we have time to discuss them. Nope. So, but these are there for you. I told Aaron that I usually end sermons with invitations, but I didn't actually know what to say because what we've talked about this morning, it's really got to sit and sink into all of us. It's still sinking into me. I, I don't know where it's going. So what we did is we thought about the discipline of questions. So these are questions that you could bring into a journal writing, into a conversation over lunch or brunch, into your Sunday school class. Uh, we're going to work on asking these questions and having time to share as a congregation over the rest of this summer. So these are my invitations to you. I don't have anything for you to do. 
other than to ask questions every day. So it's good. It's good. It's Pentecost. It's Pentecost. Yeah, we shall go where the winds of the Spirit take us into our next era of this church and the church in the world. Amen. deviate just a little bit from our orders of worship, um, but we do want to give, as we always have uh, opportunities in this service, a chance to take a deep breath and to be present, truly present with one another and with God, and to allow these questions to sink into our hearts uh, and to hear this invitation for us to see in new and different ways. So I'm going to take just a, a couple of moments to tune my guitar. Uh, to play quietly and to let you listen to the Spirit of God moving. And at the end of that time, we'll sing a short song together go sent by God into this world. Let's pray together. God, open our hearts. Open our ears. Open our eyes to see you. When the sounds and the visions that we see, things that we hear are unexpected, this grace to know that it is you. Hear our prayers. Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Now, if you would, let's uh, stand together as you're able and let's sing. I'm going to sing a line and then invite you to repeat a line. I think we sang this at the end of the service last week.
history of the world with maps. <gasps> have you? No. <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. National Geographic. Oh, I bet it sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Well, you wow. love maps. You? <laughs> okay, yeah, you can leave it in the church office and, and I'll look for it. Yeah. So, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain to people. Like, I kept being like, I'm going to preach this Sunday. There's going to be maps. And people were like, okay. I was like, just you wait. You haven't seen maps.